0: I just I have to say it, and this is this can go on the record. Eight Crazy Nights is an excellent holiday film,
1: you know what movie i was I was looking for, and this was i oh man, I don't even know who it was originally made for. It definitely was not released in theaters um but it used to be on Hulu and this is like ten years ago it was called switch miss and basically the premise of it is it's like a freaky Friday, but with like a Jewish kid and a Christian kid and like one celebrates Hanukkah and one celebrates uh, or like maybe Parent Trap one celebrates Hanukkah and one celebrates Christmas and they're like trying to fool the other like family
0: oh you can watch it on Amazon Prime for free
1: oh
0: this isn't okay. this isn't a uh, advertisement for Amazon Prime by any means but you can watch those two movies for for free
1: <laughs> okay go watch Eight Crazy Nights and Switchmas alright that's the episode
0: yep boom Thanks for listening. Welcome in! It's the Mock Stars Podcast. I am Evan Kunai, and I'm here with Christopher Ritter! What's up? Was that a good 14 for you that time, Chris?
1: That was actually, I think you uh, took mercy on my ears. Maybe like turn turn my headphone levels down I pulled back
0: just slightly I thought that you might have gotten a little bit Overwhelmed by it But we're here and we're kicking ass And if you would like to support the show You can do so by finding us on YouTube Thumbs up, like, you know All that jazz, Uh, subscribe Make sure you hit that bell for notifications You can find us on all major podcasting platforms Uh, Give us five stars Make us look really cool And help new people find the show you can join our Discord community server where we're always popping off and we're having a lot of discussion about uh, this new sort of format within Commander uh, Commander Contained, which is uh, actually generating quite a buzz and we saw some really great deck lists already pop up on that channel. If you would like to support the show even further, you can go do so on Patreon by becoming a supporter Subscribing to that Dr. Pepper tier, the Pepperhead tier, where your name turns Dr. Pepper red in our Discord server. You get access to two exclusive channels, the Shower Thoughts channel and the Dr. Pepper channel, where the entire lore of Dr. Pepper is posted. And a huge shout out to all of our patrons who have been supporting the show so far. You know who you are. Thank you so much. That being said, we're going to start the show with, with one Pre-game action and that action is no actions we've been relieved Just to not have to see uh any magic product in the past week it's been nice I'm taking a
1: breather yeah it's been nice i like i've been able to i i think ignores the most recent secret layer drop right did we talk yeah. about that last week
0: yeah we t- we covered all that and I, mean, I think we were all that is the excited. most recent
1: thing in magic i think
0: yeah and i'm excited for it I like, I'm excited that the Secret Lair looks nice, I like products that I would usually partake in. The big thing is I can play Arena without like this looming thought that there is something on the horizon, so I can actually enjoy the cards uh, without really like thinking, oh yeah, these will be out of, you know, these won't be relevant beyond this, but it's actually been a lot of fun to like sit there and uh, play Limited or Draft on Arena and, and truly enjoy it. So um, yeah, it's funny how products uh, fatigue affects you. Like like I, I really don't see much on the horizon. I, I guess until the new year starts, then I'll start thinking about it. But I don't think there's any spoilers coming either. The for the rest of the year, it's kind of nice.
1: No, because because what's the next set? The next set is Cons Remastered, and that's just an arena exclusive, and that's not any new stuff, right?
0: Right, just cards, and if if you're uh, Playing arena a lot you're probably going to be thinking about how to incorporate those into any of your like historic decks but nothing that's really going to affect you i actually wouldn't mind drafting that that'd be a really cool draft um on arena so was
1: that a fun block i i sort of missed that one
0: well it was like where they had like three colors and fetchlands mm-hmm. were a thing so this is something where we're that actually is big news for arena they're introducing fetchlands to arena so we'll be uh probably seeing some historic decks start to pop off a little bit quicker than they used to and uh yeah i'd say there was a fun a fun set to draft there's just a lot going on you get those uh shards so like uh three color combinations that were really kind of in the same way that nuka Penna was fun this is also that but um before they had treasures yeah
1: okay well, maybe we'll draft. We'll, you know, do a little draft.
0: Yeah, and you get to play with like
1: Actually no, it's on arena only. So I will not be doing any drafting of cons. <laughs> You're staying you far away arena. from arena. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I've just been dabbling lately, so uh, it's nice to dip my toes and maybe I'll dip my toes a little bit in that. Um but twenty twenty four on
1: arena. Like uh what's your format?
0: My format is either historic brawl where I play literally one deck and that's Helana and Elena. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I draft uh, from the new set or whatever they have on quick draft, and they had Dominar United on quick draft this past week, so I got to you know sort of dive back into that and do the whole domain thing, which was fun. I did a few different decks that uh, were just really widely varied, and you get okay. to pull some like decent rares from it, mm-hmm. and um, it's usually not hard to get like five or six wins. And then I did I paid up and I did a premiere. Uh, Ixalan draft just the other day and I got my face stomped in just by, uh, uh, some of the, uh, God, what is the, (laughs) what is the mechanic or permanence go to your graveyard? Descends. Jesus.
1: (laughs) Oh, Descend. We love Descend, don't yeah, we? Yeah. Yes. Which uh, version of Descend were it you was are interacting with?
0: Well, I didn't get punched with like the, the fathomless descent. Not none of that. Mm-hmm. Just uh the overall grinding value of descent. So in draft it's not too bad. And and then I got stomped by the, the endless one or whatever, the eight eight that's uh for two mana. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was fun to see. I hadn't seen that happen yet, but it happened to me. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So it's great to take a deep breath, and I hope that all of you listeners out there are also able to sort of breathe in and relax, sort of enjoy this moment, uh, because we're going to take a trip back in time through 2023. I don't know if you realized it, but it is December 1st. It is the end of the year. So we, the mock stars, Chris and I, are reflecting on the top ten cards for C D H from 2023. So to get started, Chris, what should we start off with? Number number 10, I think we both agreed on this because it has a lot of potential and we don't yeah, quite well, know where I, it's I going. Mean,
1: I it's think new. when we started talking about this topic, we found out there was more than 10 cards this year that were actually pretty relevant to C D H. Uh, do you want to talk about the Honorable Mentions? Oh, yeah, I got, a, out of the way? I got ahead of myself.
0: I was just so excited to get into it. Yeah, so our Honorable Mentions, we have cards that are just either fringe commanders or have potential that can like really uh, step up into their own, but uh, mostly just legendary creatures that uh, we saw somewhat at tournament or um, had a lot of hype behind them. So
1: first... Yeah, you're you're seeing the list pop up. You're seeing results with the list. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just not clear yet if it's the honeymoon period with the commander or, like, people are trying it um, or if it actually has legs and people are going to keep playing it. And this if is, it actually has impact, you know?
0: This is that product fatigue. Like, we, we saw all these cards come out this year and we're like, bro, whoa, you know, a new card. Oh, there's another new card. And then you just you move right past these things. It felt like... So the first card on honorable mentions is Shaline Halar. While mm-hmm. this card feels like it came out a long time ago, it wasn't that long ago. It was less than six months. So it's a card that feels old and stale because uh, we've seen so you, much you product this year. You did plenty of
1: playtesting with it personally, right?
0: I, yeah, I did. And I felt like it was a fresh... Uh, deck that you know obviously after you figure it out if you know where to stick your fingers in a lot of people can and they do but uh, Mm -hmm. i thought it was explosive there were definitely times when i was able to steal the game out from under people's noses and uh if you're unfamiliar with shaline halar it is an infinite damage outlet with either uh the red terror or with Heliod's sun crowned it is a Flying Vigilant 3-3 that says whenever you put a plus and plus one counter on a creature you control, deal one damage to target opponent. So uh, with the Red Terror, you go infinite because Shalain Hilar is going to deal that one damage. It is a red source. You put a plus and plus one counter on the Red Terror and blah, 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 blah. It's really um, the deck focuses around the two card combos, with either one of those, and I built it in a way that was more enchantress focused, so that the Heliod combo wouldn't feel like I was just like shoving it in there. It had it had mm-hmm. purpose, just um, also along with the strategy of the deck. So um, yeah, a-
1: along those same uh, lines, there's another commander uh, who is not a combo in in the command zone, but is you know. An enabler for a stack strategy, uh, which is Elevier of the Wild Court, um, which was in Wilds of Eldraine. Uh, and I've seen some deck lists uh, with her, uh, and just really interesting, like, there's lots of really good hate bears in uh, Selesnia colors, green and white, uh, and I don't, you know, I haven't seen enough to think that the deck is there yet, uh, but definitely something to keep, your, keep an eye on, so...
0: Yeah, we're seeing more and more enchantments come out. I think just the more the game is played, the more the game is built, the more we realize that obviously the pool is going to get larger for Elevere here. And the one thing that I love about this deck is that just like Winota, you can win through combat damage with this deck because... It's a not-nothing ability. It's whenever Elavir the the Wildcourt enters a battlefield or attacks, create a virtuous roll attached to another target creature you control. And the virtuous roll gives that creature plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. So you're allowed to control the game through punishing stacks that either that nobody else can get through. So you get access to Sarah's Sanctum. You get access to Guy's Cradle. So you can actually produce a ton of mana while shutting down a lot of artifact strategies or turbo strategies. And this deck can really just sort take advantage of that and punch through whatever defenses your opponents might have. Yeah, uh, I love this deck uh, I, and I love the card and I really I teched it into Shalayan Halar for a bit, but you're right. It does deserve its own standalone spotlight because you can build a really punishing strategy behind it, which is why it makes our honorable mentions.
1: Yeah, definitely like a lot of the best hate bears are in those colors and it's worth uh, messing around with if you want to do like a combat focused stacks thing. Like like if you feel like you're playing Winota and you're just a target with Win- with Winota, maybe give this a shot.
0: It's a very similar strategy. You just don't get a ton of like you don't accumulated value like you get with Winota. This mm-hmm. is More hard earned value, but it will pay off. Oh, and then the other effect whenever an enchanted creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So it's
1: sort of Timna Light. So, yes,
0: yeah, it's great, which is why I teched it in because it has draw a card stapled to it. So, all right. The next card I think that we should mention is uh, I'll save like the spiciest one for last. I will say Mm -hmm. Atali. Primal Conqueror is the next card uh, on the Honorable Mentions. A great card that I think took a lot of the community by surprise. Uh, It it reads like it's really good. And I think the... Yeah, I I think as soon
1: as it was spoiled, people were excited, right?
0: Yeah, and uh, there might have been too much focus put on the whole like pay 9 mana to flip it into a Blightsteel Colossus type deal. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, no, that doesn't... Because it says it takes 9 mana doesn't mean it's a bad card. The first effect is what you want enters the battlefield, and you just get to cast the first thing you see off the top of everybody's library. And it's not... It's you reveal until you hit a non-land, which creates some really interesting combos. Uh, Itali itself can be a commander where you just go with food chain and you go wild. You play everyone's decks. But then you can also use it in polymorph strategies. Jordan was talking about it with a Paco build using Divergent Transformations where you just exile Paco and Halden with Divergent Transformations and you reveal uh, Itali and uh, Displacer Kitten. And they're the only two creatures in your library, which means that every spell that you reveal out of your library through the Itali ability is a non-creature spell, which triggers Kitten, which means you get to Flicker Itali and you infinitely cast everybody's libraries. You pick up your whole library and then you just play Thassa's Oracle and win the game. So uh, kind of a cool... Or you have... Uh, you know, like Lab Man. Well, you can't have Lab Bad. Or ah, God, that's Oracle. I you can play something else.
1: In the ninety nine of of you know of many more decks, not just the commander. So yeah. you you possibly can have Lab Man.
0: Yeah, potentially. So it's or a really someone cool else card, is
1: Lab Man. You don't even have to be playing blue.
0: It was absolutely shocking to see that it was twenty five dollars. Like when I was looking at the price yesterday, I was like, how? But then it's also like super heavily played in standard. Uh I I just Yeah,
1: and not, that card uh, not a lot of uh that set was opened, you know?
0: Yeah. And I I wish I had one. I wish I'd bought them when they were like speculated at less than $5 cuz it mm-hmm. it is a really good card. Uh the next one, I will say this is a deck that uh is a commander for a deck that I think has potential in the future and if it wasn't for uh, a couple of people at the last tournament, I know um, John was one of the people advocating for it, but uh, it is Nissa Resurgent Animist. It is two and a green uh, legendary creature, and it has a landfall ability that just sort of like made me th- think really hard. And I had to like, w- I was wondering how this combo off, but it's whenever a land enters a battlefield under your control, add one mana of any color. Now, if this is the second time this ability has resolved this turn, reveal cards from the top of your library and to reveal an elf or elemental card, put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, uh, it's, it doesn't stop there, you know, like where um, four-color Omnath stops after like the third ability uh, or the fourth ability, whatever one. Um, this, you still get one mana of any color but then it allows you to keep going so that you can uh you only have like three creatures in the entire library and they're both uh, either an elf or an elemental and it's Mm -hmm. just combo pieces so you play one
1: pseudo polymorph uh type thing yeah
0: yeah it's a mono green polymorph or a fetch land polymorphs for you so Mm kind of crazy I think it has potential. It can definitely catch you off guard. It definitely caught me off guard in one on like turn three. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, really cool, really cool deck. I was happy to play against it and just sort of like see what kind of like crazy wacky strategies people are pulling off with it. It's another card. Yeah,
1: no, you, you, uh, you surprised me with this one. I'm going to have to look this up after the episode.
0: Yeah, and it's used in standard right now. It's being used in a few other formats because... Uh, it is a $28 card, just like... Oh, uh, okay. yeah Yeah. Um, and the last card in our honorable mentions, Obnixilus, Captive Kingpin. I know. Yeah, uh,
1: sort of, I, I think maybe the opposite situation where when it was spoiled, people thought it had potential and you saw it being played a bit and, and it seems to have like died off a little bit. So do do you think that it still has legs?
0: I... Watched it have the Christmas land hand, and okay. my second round of uh the the last tournament we played in I watched the guy have just like the perfect hand and turned to wheel of fortune and had a cataract parasite out, so they they turned one to ob with a cataract parasite and then mm-hmm. <laughs> for the next you know that went all the way around the table and then turn two gets to them and they've revealed like a mana crypt and a a mana vault out of the three cards they got and then they went ahead and cast a wheel of fortune they get to see 28 more cards because the cataract parasite and um that was the game it ended turn two i didn't even get a second turn so can the deck be explosive absolutely it is Honestly, one of the crazier things that I've ever seen. There's a lot of cards out there that support uh, this concept of just being able to do one damage or for an opponent losing exactly one life. And I don't know if it has potential to be that like monster at the table all of the time. It is something that you have to respect, obviously, but I think that if you use your piece of removal on Obnixilis. The the instant it comes out, or the instant that they declare an attack, like you're making the right decision pretty much every single time. It's something that is easy to disassemble because they don't have much counter magic or interactive magic to like battle removal. Essentially, so mm-hmm. that is that's my point of view on it. I've seen it be its absolute best. I've also seen it be its absolute worst, where it just gets like. It just sits there and sputters, and you're like, oh, this deck's supposed to be so good. It has potential. So however however you view it, I think the hype really set this card off on uh, like it, it really raised the bar for it, and so we had high expectations whenever you sat na- across from it on the table a lot of mm-hmm. people were talking on spell table like hey you know i just lost oblivion's on like turn 2 or turn 3 it really sucked it was so good but it turns out that you really only get that game maybe like 20 or 30% of the time which is still Got high it. but um yeah it's yeah still a pretty rare thing
1: cool well i guess with that do we talk about the actual top 10 i think so okay let's do it Number 10.
0: I think we both agreed on this one because it's new. We haven't quite seen it yet. Um, Dauntless Dismantler
1: at number 10. This this is just like, uh, I I feel like a a scout and I'm scouting a high school player that's like going to be a five-tool player in the major leagues. Like I just know this is going to work out.
0: Yeah, this is one that I think everyone has speculated pretty high on. I didn't even see it like in the set until after the set release didn't see it at like pre-release didn't even see it in the spoilers but then someone was like have you seen Dauntless Dismantler I think you need to take a look and for one one in a white it's crazy
1: it's a great card it's what a one four or two four
0: it's a one four yeah so Dauntless Dismantler a one four (sighs) human artificer so Winota gets even better right Artifacts mm-hmm. your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. You can pay XX and a white Sacrifice Dauntless Dismantler. Destroy each artifact with mana value X. Stop. Yeah, it's crazy because usually they put activate only as a sorcery. After that, mm-hmm. like li- lately, that was, has been their tendency.
1: Yeah, but no, no restriction there. Like, yeah, this is just like every line of text is good on this card. Like nothing about it is explosive. But, like, everything adding... Like, the creature typing. The power and toughness is good. Uh, yeah. Like, both abilities in the text box are good. Like, you know, just everything about this card is... is It's great.
0: Yeah, it, it's got a huge ass. Like, mm-hmm. I bet it'd be a great golfer. Because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a one and You know, everyone's been talking. It is the... It is currently... A better uh, blind obedience. I think people are starting to like swap the place because more than anything. And I, I, when we get to closer up to the top of the list, I think we'll see that there are people place greater value in creatures because if you have the ability to tutor them out, they're just easier to put on the battlefield or they're easier to tutor up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Speaking of tutoring it out, like. I mean, it because it's a creature, that just makes it real easy if you have, like, you know, uh, Rocco. Like, you know, Secret Commander situation going on, and then you just need to pull this out of the toolbox or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. Rocco is... Yeah, R- Rocco is just insane. I'd, it is probably the best example to give for a tech that wants to tutor creatures up. But even in Five Color, you're always playing... uh finale of devastation you know you're probably always playing worldly tutor you're probably always playing something of of that caliber to tutor potentially this up to either slow the game down or to hold your opponents hostage with um you know essentially what it does it is a great answer to a dockside that is going to win the game Because, one, it brings all the treasures in tapped. It gives you an opportunity to come back around to your turn uh, if you don't have the white available and still pay the white, sack it, and destroy all of the treasures that were made in the process. Not only that, you're probably going to destroy a mana crypt or two and maybe a couple moxes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's great value on a card. And I think if this card had been released earlier in the year, it would be way higher up on the list than 10.
0: Totally. I would probably... As it sees more and more play, I would probably put it in our top five.
1: But... You know what? I'm going to guarantee you that we're talking about this card more than probably the next four cards we're going to talk about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's probably... This is probably a staple in a lot of white decks moving forward. So uh, the next card, number nine, on our top 10 most influential cards of CDH of 2023, I'm going to say it is Shieldred the Apocalypse.
1: Yeah, and, just a really good card, multi-format, all-star, uh, has not broken out as a specific card, right? No, in CDH. yeah.
0: It's one of those things where people do, when they do find the slot for it, they see the value. I think that initially uh, what had happened was uh, there was a lot of talk about this in Wheel Thief packages, which didn't quite uh, lead to a lot of success, so while it is a multi format all star is definitely more important in other formats than it is in cdh but it still says a lot yeah i, I feel like the lot. Nice
1: thing in cdh is that like it takes so much to make card draw bad <laughs> yeah and even shouldred doesn't do that
0: well i think that it really sort of like gave me perspective um to like how much people draw cards when mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> i <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not spoiling anything by saying that when Bowmasters came out, I really started seeing how much people were just drawing cards outside of their draw step on every single turn. It was just yep. crazy to see all the triggers and how big that orc army would get. And so Shieldred coming out and coming into the fray would just start like killing opponents. And uh, the incremental value as the game would extend into later turns proved to be pre- well pretty staggering. I'm just I'm 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 happy this makes the list and I'm not sure if everyone out there will agree that it makes the top 10 that maybe some of these other cards that we mentioned in the honorable mentions would would surpass it. But I do feel like it does need a place here. And I I,
1: yeah, obviously a good card.
0: Yeah. Dismantler will surpass it, but Dismantler is just so new. So that's why we put that at the bottom. Uh, Number eight. Ritter, what do you want to go with here?
1: Uh, Beseech? Beseech the Mirror?
0: Yeah, I would say Beseech the Mirror is a fair one here, mostly because, well, Beseech the Mirror had a lot of hype behind it, and I think that it goes along with Obnixilus in that vein, because we saw it, the three black is obviously, well, a commitment. And while Dark Ritual can get you there, when you're going for the bargain, most of the time what you're bargaining for is a win condition you would hope to be able to cast anything for four or less out of your library for free and i think that's where the card obviously is the best but it's it can be awful when you sacrifice a valuable piece like for the bargain you you'd hope you're just sacrificing like a treasure but mm-hmm. if you can i guess stick your finger in this plan encounter it i think most people will use their interaction on this spell which which is why it hasn't Maybe really seen a ton of plays because it raises too many uh, red flags. Sometimes,
1: yeah, it, it's it's a great card, but you can stop it, and uh, you know the mana cost is a little restrictive.
0: Yeah, the commitment to the play is far heavier than um, a lot of other like win cons or strategies that would do it in a similar way, and mm-hmm. and it's far too obvious. So there there are yeah, things I- that people just would like a little bit more subversion and this just screams, stop this or I win the game.
1: Yeah, I, I mean the buy-in for a failed besiege attempt is definitely lower than like a failed ad nause, right? Yeah. But still at the same time, you know, every you know, everything that we just said, essentially.
0: Yeah. I think that the big thing that people are talking about in why Besiege Sumir was so hyped because of the impact it's going to have in Legacy or Vintage, where they're just basically, or even in modern, if you are playing the, you know, Beseech Samira, you're playing a slow B tier deck, probably, but you're just mm-hmm. playing it so that you can cast the one ring out of your library for free and start accumulating value that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, because you still get the cast trigger, you still get the protection for the following turn. And that's ultimately why it, it would be good. But uh, I think it, has been influential to cdh uh especially at release and it will probably uh lose favor as we move forward just due to like proven strategies i think that the biggest talk we've had over the past like three weeks maybe it's just been happening in the background but it's like cdh is moving very quickly there are a lot of new cards coming out that are impacting the format we almost always revert back to the tried-and-true decks or the tried-and-true strategies that have been proven to make it to tops, make it to, to be able to get people into those positions to win tournaments.
1: You know what? Your uh, phrasing that leads me to the card that I think should be number seven because it's really just getting slotted into like, decks that can use it, like, and it definitely belongs in all those decks, but it's not shaking anything up. Hit and me. And that card is Draena and Linvala. Number seven. Yeah, I you know, I love this you're card. You're not really seeing any new archetypes formed around it. It's just like, if you have black and white in your color identity, play it. Like, it's a must-include at that point.
0: Right. Five-color decks might not necessarily have the room for it because there's a lot of True. Like, True. very, very thin margins, but... Um, you
1: also have double pips on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, double pips of white... And the thing is, it, with on and Limvala, is that before the printing of Bowmasters, Mana Dorks were all over the place. Creatures were king. And now that we see the, preva- the like the prevalence of Bowmasters in, in the One Ring, we're seeing less Mana Dorks out there in the world. So Drana and Limvala has gotten a little worse just in the past, what, few months. But mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. is so incredibly powerful. Uh it, it, for all of you who don't know, it is a 3/4 flying vigilance for 4 mana, one two white and a black. Activated abilities, activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control can't be activated. Drana and Limvala has all activated abilities of all creatures your opponent's control. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate those abilities. Kind of nutty. <laughs> it's yeah. And the funny thing is, is that when it was released, it was like two dollars, and I'm like, "Why is no one picking up on this? This is a crazy card. Does anyone is anyone reading it?" And for a while, it was upsetting the balance of uh, Cdh. It would, it would just start popping up and stealing people's Thrasios activations or whatever. Well, I mean, there's
1: just so much relevant text on that card. Like, yeah, it it was good in every scenario.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, uh, Kenrith super heavily played in our meta, especially in the Pacific Northwest. So when this came out, this was like, oh my god, we finally have an answer for Atlas. <laughs> Never mind. No, there's no, there's no answer for Atlas. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing card. That's ultimately why I like over all of the other legendary creatures that we we push down to the Honorable Mentions. This one, more often than not, finds itself in the 99 as a utility piece to shut down certain decks like Taeyam or uh, Kenrith or uh, even Sisei, which is probably the most powerful and prevalent commander uh, over Kenrith. So this absolutely shuts Sisei down.
1: Yeah, it's a great card, but again, it's not creating new strategies. It's just like you know, it's, it's just a very powerful card if you can play it.
0: Yeah. I love it. I wish it got, I wish it was played more. Um, But yeah, it's one of those cards that it definitely is a bit of, yeah, it's a bit of a commitment with the two white pips. So if you're in three colors and you happen to have white and black in that potentially, if you're in four colors, but I think it, the three-color shard is probably where you're best fit for this to come in as a stacks piece that's going to help you outpace your opponents and win the game.
1: So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, every time I've seen it come down on a board, it has been impactful.
0: Oh, so. It is, yeah. I love it. All right, and, should we and, get to
1: number six? Oh, yeah.
0: Number six, Born Upon a Wind. I, okay. I think number this is the number six. I uh, Number five... F- at like my number 5 edges this out because I've seen it in more decks than I can say you know like this has been in
1: because yeah you know you know what's controversial here for me is that like this is number 6 in the countdown but we were talking before the podcast before we recorded like is this an honorable mention card is this even like in the top 10
0: Right and the thing is is that there was uh a lot of hype with the resurgence of uh the resurgence of necropotence with this card like Zur, uh whatever uh shimmer Zur was the deck that people were like probably most notably talking about like this could revive that a little bit and the the thing is is that i i, I think that this helps more decks than just necropotence based decks while they do want to be able to use this due to some really strange interactions on the stack that allow it to like stick its fingers in places that you wouldn't normally be able to, um, Born Upon a Wind actually helps decks get through uh, silence and a few other things that allow it to still win in the end step. So that's ultimately why I, I thought... It would rise up a little bit higher than ten or eight, you mm-hmm. know. So, uh, it no, I agree. Still seeing its utility, and and it uh, replaces itself. So, as long as it resolves, it's another one of those cards that when it's cast, I think that the ty- like the re- the rest of the table just looks around and goes, uh, "Are we gonna let this go, or do we want to mm-hmm. like try to interact with the things that they're going to cast after it?" Because if we just stop this. We probably don't see any of the things after it. But the big thing that Born Upon a Wind does for a deck, and this is why Shaline Halar, for me, like the deck ultimately feels bad, is I can't win on the stack. And this card allows you to win on the stack.
1: Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) that's the way to be, right? In CDH, that's either winning on the stack or... I mean, that's the best way to be, right? Winning after everyone has burned all of their interaction on someone else and being able to sneak in there and grab the win.
0: Yeah, I think that's just what the best decks do. It's what the best players do. And it's what uh, the most resilient decks are able to do. So mm-hmm. um, that's, yeah, that's that's my reasoning for it. I, Even though I've made a great case for it, I do think that number five surpasses it.
1: Well, what is number 5? Do I agree or disagree? Number 5.
0: Agatha's vile cauldron. Do you agree?
1: Ooh, I, no, I'm more uh flummoxed or cuz here's the thing. It, it's a good card, like I know it's definitely a multi-format all-star based on the price list, even though I haven't researched that. Uh but <laughs> I just I just haven't seen it enough. Like I know it's good intuitively. Uh I don't know how to weigh its value versus Born Upon a Wind.
0: Uh, I think for Agatha's Vile Cauldron, I believe this card ha- has like just like the recurring value of being able to interact with the graveyard in a way that can be meaningful. So, um, we while we talked about Drano and Lavala having the ability to steal activated abilities, this has that flexibility, oddly enough, um, by Stealing creatures from graveyards and then giving whatever creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter the activated abilities of those creatures. So Mm -hmm. uh, for all you out there, if you're not familiar, it's tap exile target card from a graveyard. Whenever a creature card is exiled this way, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control You may spend mana as though it were any mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them have all activated abilities of all creatures exiled with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. So the big thing here is that while dorks are sort of on their way out or have been suppressed in the format, there are certain dorks that, well, haven't been. So uh, Delighted Halfling... Being one of them, which we, I, I think uh, we might have missed one here. <laughs> Delight halfling's yeah, I, I also don't know. a great I'm card. I'm looking at
1: the list again. I think maybe we messed up the count, but maybe we can include it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Delight halfling yeah. fits right in at five and a half. Um, yeah. This uh, so it can steal that ability. Five and a halfling. Yeah, and then a uh, oh, five and a halfling, you rascal. Um, the Other thing is that uh, Deathrite Shaman is another mana dork that is sort of uh, floating around that is starting to have more influence that I'm seeing it in more. Yeah, I'm seeing it in more lists because it doesn't die to the Bowmaster. And uh, it is oftentimes just um, it, it, it hides it flies under the radar in a way because it requires a certain level of like commitment to activate the other two abilities. And Mm -hmm. if there's not any lands in the graveyards, then it's like, Oh, well, I guess you have nothing to really chew on to generate mana. But, um, this just like the amount of times that I've seen this exile, one of those two or exile something else of the sort, steal that activated ability. Um, the big thing for this card here and its flexibility is that it contributes and makes one of the best cards or one of the best decks in the format even better. And that is uh, not uh, not July. Uh, it is Sissé, uh, the five color Sissé, right? Um by making it so that you can put a plus one plus one counter on Sisse, you increase the scope of what it's able to tutor for, and then you can mm-hmm. also spend any mana as though mana as though it were any color to activate the ability. So it turns a mana vault or a mana crypt basically into five color tappy, who's he, whats what'sy, whatever, to be able to tutor your deck for anything. So
1: Yeah. No, it's a hot card.
0: It's really great for just interacting with because it's not just like tap exile target creature card from a graveyard it's tap exile any card and what it's done it's sort of like this is seeing people are finding a reason to put it into multiple decks uh just because like timna wants it for just the plus one plus one counter on timna is enough usually to like get through or get past most creatures that makes timna less fragile less uh subject to bow masters uh because otherwise you just snipe Timna with a Bowmaster, and that whole strategy is just out of there. And mm-hmm. uh, this this like goes in there, puts a plus and plus one counter on it. Even though you're not activating any abilities you likely, uh, you are still interacting with other people's graveyards while still stimulating your strategy to swing at your opponents and draw cards.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great card. Uh, what's number four?
0: Number four! Elishnorn, Mother of Machines. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think this one fits right in here. I'm so sorry to Delighted Halfling, um, but Elish Norn does ha- and has had a greater effect on the CDH scene uh, than uh, any of the cards we've talked about before it. It is wonderful. I absolutely love this card.
1: Yeah, I you know, like I was saying, like like Draena and Lumbala, it's one of those cards where you see it in the 99 a lot, and every time it comes down it is so impactful to the board state in terms of like you know what lines of play are now going to be available
0: right uh double etbs as we've talked about in the past the thing with uh well the thing with creatures is that there isn't a whole lot of interaction for them so now like the best the best card in all of cdh is a creature with an etb on it so i think that is already like um stimulated the imagination of all players out there what if i had elish and mother of machines on the battlefield at the same time that i played a dockside mm-hmm. so that is like obviously the best case scenario but on the other side of it it also has vigilance and it turns off all of your opponents etb effects
1: yep yeah i i mean we've talked i i think ad nauseum like about like how good etbs are yeah like it's it it, you know and how difficult is it it is to interact with it and and stuff like that um you know speaking of a card we forgot to mention that should have gotten an honorable mention uh which is what is it Tashana's tide binder
0: wonderful really great card yeah Yeah,
1: Yeah, you're probably uh, right
0: put that one in the mentions
1: But that one in the mentions where it, it's just, you know, uh I'm just raising the point where like ETBs are just super, super powerful. And so if you can double yours and turn off your opponents for you know, it it's gonna it does nutty things.
0: Yeah, being able to counter I mean, I it does with the with the Tide Binder like thinking on that like uh wavelength with Elish Norn is just like well you get two triggers there, so you basically get to guarantee the boom boom of uh Elishinor, and you get to counter whatever ability is being triggered. Uh, the mm-hmm. reason the Tidebinder should get a mention is more than anything, it does stop triggered uh, abilities and activated abilities, but um, it also stops channeling of certain lands. So if you didn't know that, yeah, it which also is stops. Yeah, super narrow. It, yes. it is
1: so hard to interact with channeling.
0: And they're some of the most played lands uh, in any list. Like, you, I think every list that has green has a Besageu, every list that has blue has an Ottawara so yep yep uh very yeah very thin uh but popular strategy that not a lot of people are there's not really any way to interact with
1: um but yeah and before we get to number three one other thing i want to mention about elshorn is that uh relevant in combat every time she comes down she is relevant in combat somehow like just a great stats on there
0: Yeah, I can't tell you how many times that I've just confidently swung in, not really had to worry about it at all. For four and a white, it is so efficiently costed for the ability that is for for just like a lot of the cards that we play in CDH. People would just like not be able to justify five mana, but you justify the five mana here if you're like fully committed to the to the mommy line here or to having mommy in your deck. You're committed to like spending that five mana because you know how much the game is going to warp around it, Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah, it's really an amazing card. I've played it a few times in like in my lists, and it just takes over. It just. Stops everybody from going crazy with dockside loops, which is just, like we've said, one of the more efficient ways to win the game. Uh, I love it. I love it. And I'm, I'm happy it's been so impactful. And I'm so happy that you traded me that uh, complete foil concept uh, print of it.
1: Oh, yeah. That was a great pull. Yeah. yeah. That was a good trade.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine even pulling that out of a pack. That must have been a, quite the high.
1: I was pretty excited. Yeah. Nice. Number uh, three. Number three, Atraxa Grand Unifier. This is a great card. And yeah, Yeah, I would say probably the breakout uh, commander of the past year.
0: Totally. Totally. Yes. Um, It is one of those cards that I think when it was it had the reverse effect of Obnixus as well. I think when it was spoiled, everyone went, oh, big deal. Seven mana. And then we and then we just let it slide for a while. And on pre-orders, it was five dollars. It was five dollars to get Atraxa on pre-order from Card Kingdom. And I wish I'd pulled the trigger and bought eight because it is one of the most powerful and influential cards in multiple formats. A great reanimation target in Standard and Modern and Pioneer and Legacy and Legacy. And in CDH, it has become just one of the most popular commanders for any strategy that you really want to enact. As long as it hits the battlefield, you're going to see so many cards and you're going to, well, essentially... one of those.
1: Uh, it's got one of those ETBs we've been talking about.
0: Ooh, one of those. Imagine if you're playing Elishnorn in that deck. Because uh, getting to see 20 cards potentially draw... I don't think you're probably playing all 10 permanent types or card types, but uh, I think the fewest I've ever seen Atraxa put into somebody's hand is three cards. And it's a pretty good selection. When you're in CDH, you get a pretty great selection of cards off the top 10.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you almost never whiff.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is definitely the, the potential to whiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen it. Maybe once where it was still like they got like a force negation and some interaction off of it, but they just didn't see the piece that they wanted. Mm. Um, It's such a powerful and impactful thing. And the thing is, is that it's not too bad in stats either. It's a seven, seven flying death touch vigilance lifelink. Creature. So once it hits the battlefield, I think a lot of people have just come under the impression that you only need one trigger to really set yourself up for success. Food Chain was the obvious strategy once it came out. Everyone was talking about how you can uh, basically just flicker it infinitely, pick up your entire library and win through some sort of Thassus Oracle line. But, and you know, that's a great thing is that it being Mm -hmm. four colors contributes, you know... Black and blue, so you can play, demonic consultation, Thousand's Oracle, and win in a multitude of other ways. Which is why, it was a competitive deck, or is a, is a competitive deck even to this day. But I've seen it win through like planeswalker lines, through flicker like th- flicker effects and stuff like that too. It just has it's so flexible, and it depended on the player on on the pilot
1: to really see it through. Yeah, it, it really justifies its CMC.
0: Totally. I, you know, I would think that was the big concern. Was that everyone was like, in, in 60 card formats, the CMC probably meant nothing to a lot of speculators. And in mm-hmm. Commander, we all thought, oh, man, that's a huge commitment. Four colors to cast it, too. But nah.
1: Turns out it's worth it. The buy in <laughs> is worth it. Yeah.
0: To see, just to see 10 cards. Because it just limits. Mm-hmm. What it does is if you are so well-versed in your deck construction seeing those 10 cards eliminates what the possibilities of the next 10 cards like could be it just like it sh- in your mind shrinks the scope of what uh you could potentially rip off the top or the next 10 cards that you reveal through some other like etb if you ephemerate type effect it mm-hmm. you know cloud shift it
1: mm-hmm. evan speaking of seeing a lot of cards that brings us to our number one and number two yeah and I'm gonna suggest something controversial, like because we've talked about both these cards so much mm-hmm. that we really don't need to go in depth. I, I think we can just say what the in what the ranking is, which one is number one and which one is number two, <laughs> and then we and, end and ex- explain it. <laughs> you know, we just end the they show. They are on their face such powerful <laughs> cards, and we've talked about them so much.
0: Yeah, no, it, it goes without saying that uh, these are cards that we've definitely talked about ad nauseum. And so, number two, what is our consensus, Ritter?
1: Did we say we said one ring was number two, right? Yes, I yeah,
0: I believe that it is the one ring is the number two most impactful card to CDH in 2023.
1: Cool, and that makes number one
0: Orcish Bowmasters.
1: Yeah, and I knew Definitely it. impactful. Yeah, I knew it.
0: I knew it. I called it out. I, uh, <laughs> well, at least I said it should
1: have been banned. But well, well, okay. So why is that number one over the one ring?
0: You know, and to sort of justify the argument, I know that a lot of people are going to say that the one ring is more impactful because it fits into more uh, deck lists. Um, you know, like it can fit into any deck and it does go into every single deck. Because the card draw is just off the chain. It outpaces Ristic Study. It outpaces a lot of different card draw mechanics. And, I, mm-hmm. and it gives you protection until your following turn. So you get to go through three other players' turns before coming back to your own. And protection all the way through, it's amazing. The card is wonderful. It's absolutely bonkers. But the thing is, is that Orcish Bowmasters has literally suppressed another card type from being viable and that we've talked about it a few times it is like manadorks have been suppressed by bowmasters. masters certain decks certain strategies have just been absolutely suppressed and there are combo lines there are so many ways to flicker this bounce it like we talked about there's so many like outside of you know first card in your draw step like draw triggers that happen just all of the time we realize as C D H players that we need to be drawing more than one card in a turn cycle in order to win games.
1: Yeah, like and the thing about Bowmasters is that it punishes the most powerful thing to do in the game, which is drawing cards. Yep. And it punishes it in like a powerful way that you can abuse.
0: Yeah, whether you're throwing a damage at their face or at their creatures, at their planeswalkers, whatever, the fact that it allows you to deal damage to any target is another reason why it's so amazing. Now, I said in order to balance this card, you know, properly in testing, it you could either take away the flash or you could take away the ETB. But it has both. So, you're able to cast it at instant speed on a on a draw trigger and then when it enters the battlefield, you get to snipe something, too. So it's why Timna is... Uh, well, while Blue Farm is still a deck that comes up or is still very competitive and is still top fouring and is so resilient and will probably never fall out of contention for uh, a top, the top table ever, Bowmasters does punish Timna players. Um, it It is just... Dealing two damage is nothing. You get one draw trigger on the stack, and you're like, okay, and I'll flash in Bowmasters, one damage Timna, one, you know, and then you draw your card off the Timna trigger, and then you kill Timna right there. It's just, um, it's unbelievable. It really is. A, a, it offers in mono, in black, it offers control. It offers punishing punishing control over mm-hmm. how your opponents play the game. Not only that. It spawns an orc army that gets bigger for every single draw trigger. And I thought it was like, this is where I was just like, really? And it spawns an additional like creature for two mana. You get uh, essentially two, two, um, or two power on the battlefield until it becomes a 21 or 21 or 22, 22. And then it's really punishing your life total or pressuring you and forcing you to block with creatures that you are saving for your own strategy. You know, you don't in your deck list, every card matters. And if you have to throw a Traxa in front of this orc army, it's not going to feel good, Right. So it's, it's one of those things where it can get out of control fast. We know there's wheels in the format. The thing is, is that I think that wheels have seen a downplay. People haven't been playing them as much because of Bowmasters, where initially while people were testing the card in the early days of its release, wheels went through the roof people were like, oh, I can deal 21 damage. Like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I feel like Wheel of Fortune is seeing less and less play. Same with Windfall. And I would say Windfall more than Wheel of Fortune is being, Windfall is being played more than Wheel of Fortune now. So it's really is um, the most influential because it has suppressed certain strategies and also changes how people play around it. Once it appears, um, I mean, obviously the second the second Bowmaster wins. So mm-hmm. you play a Bowmaster and then somebody goes, well, I'll flash in a Bowmaster, kill your Bowmaster, and now I get all the triggers. So, I, I, yeah. In Modern, it's also a monster. It's probably the most heavily played card in Modern. Um, and I just don't see a world where this isn't uh, an auto-include in any deck that's playing black.
1: Yeah, bowmasters is like a dockside level card. Yes, like it's that good.
0: Yeah, that is the best way to put it. It is the current. It is it is the black uh, version of dockside if there ever was one. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, like it's just crazy because it kind of just like takes uh, it takes like Teom and it makes Teom go crazy too. So like there, yeah, even in decks that aren't just running it for apparent value and. Accumulated value through draw triggers or whatever. There are decks that can absolutely abuse it to p- maximize profit. Right? Like it is an instant like Teom activation if it hits the battlefield because it generates a vigilance counter on the Bowmaster and it generates a vigilance counter on the Orc Army and a plus one plus one counter on the Orc Army. So there's three counters right there. And if you're able to just you know or have an ashton's Altar or something like that, sack them both, remove the counters. And then just keep cycling it infinitely to roll through your entire library. So it's there's just so much to it. I'm sorry. I, I, we could talk about it all day. That's how good it is.
1: Uh, I, I think if you stitch together all the audio of us talking about this card, it might actually be 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, might literally be a day.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. It, half of the episodes that we've ever recorded... Stitched together, they're all about Bowmasters. Uh, it it, at least when it was announced, you know, ever since it was announced, there was just that, like, you know, this is really going to change things, and it did. Even the one, even the one ring, we thought, man, this is really, you know, after release, we were really like, man, this is going to change things. Everyone's playing this card, so um, yeah,
1: all right, man, I (laughs) think that's 10. How do you feel?
0: yeah how do you feel about that
1: i I feel good like you know uh like I was saying before we started recording like uh when you pitched this topic to me and you were like top ten for the year, and you know we have been talking a lot about how like you know not super excited lately about the game mm-hmm. uh but it was easy to come up with you know fifteen cards off the dome, and we didn't even talk about any anything from the doctor who set, and there's like good stuff there.
0: Totally. Stuff that I think the thing about it is with this like product overload, we're going to be digging through this stuff in years, right? Just be like Mm -hmm. a couple years from now, just being like, man, did you even see this card in the Doctor Who set? You know, just like, absolutely not. There was like, you had like three weeks to brew with that stuff before the next stuff came out.
1: People just moved on. Yeah. Yeah. The The window window closed.
0: closed. Yep. Well, uh, if you enjoyed this episode and you think we missed anything which i know we missed one very important thing delighted halfling definitely deserves a spot i'm sorry in there
1: at five and a half oh yeah five and a halfling we got it um
0: if there are any other cards that you think we missed make sure to mention that in the comments on the youtube channel get over there like subscribe and hit that bell for more notifications new episodes every single friday be sure to join the Discord server. And if you are uh, sharing this with friends, which I encourage you to, you can share us on all major podcasting platforms and on YouTube, whatever you want to do. There's a lot of different ways to find the Mock Stars podcast. And on that note, I th- yeah, I think we did a great job, Ritter. We really kicked ass today.
1: Oh, kicked ass. You you said it.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Let's get out of here. Right, Peace.